heart to love people and open hands to give to people, to be generous. And generosity is not just a one-time event in our day, in our week, in our life, certainly. Giving isn't just something that we do. Being generous is who we are. It's part of our identity as a child of God, as one who reflects the image of his son as the spirit works in us and through us. And scripture is very clear on the vast difference between life in his kingdom as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and life that is prescribed by the values of this world. This world says, use people, climb the ladder, take what is yours, and if possible, take what is someone else's if it makes you happy. The world sends us a lot of messages that are counter and opposite of what God says and what his word says. God says, seek first his kingdom. God says, love your neighbor. God says, share what you have. Be a blessing in this world. Let your light shine. And so our text today is Ephesians chapter 4. If you have a Bible, you might want to open up there. We're doing team preaching today, and I'm just going to introduce what these guys are going to talk about. In Ephesians 4 verse 22, Paul reminds us of the two different ways that you can choose to live your life according to the world or as a child of God in the kingdom of God. Verse 22 of Ephesians 4, he writes this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The Apostle Paul says, think differently, have a different mindset, look at the world differently and live differently. It's a different approach to life. No longer are you this old self that Sylvan just talked about a few moments ago, but you, through the power of God and the blessing of his son, you are a new creation. You have a new self, a new way to live. And as Kevin and Jeremy will help us see in this passage in Ephesians chapter 4, this new life we have in Christ includes a lot. But one of the things that it includes is how we can be a blessing to others in big and small ways with what we possess. And not just our money. When we think of generosity and giving, we often just think of money or maybe possessions. But what about your words? What about the things you say to the people around you? What about your actions toward them, around them? Your words and your actions, how can you be generous with those things? How can you give life with your words and actions? When I think about that phrase, give life, I often think about donating blood. And in fact, that's, that's one of the slogans they use, give blood, give life, or give life, donate blood. Interestingly, research has shown that the first few times people give, and of course everyone is different, but typically the first few times people donate blood, they do that because of the incentives. They do that because they want to be thanked or recognized or because of what they get from it. But after the fourth time, then donating blood just becomes a part of their identity, who they are. It's not just about the cookies or the t-shirts. It's about someone who chooses to give life. And so let me ask you, do you see yourself as a life giver, 
as someone who gives life to others. And I'm not just talking about, for example, donating blood. As important as that is, and that is literally a way to give life to someone. But what about as you speak, as you interact, as you make decisions, as you view other people and then treat them based on how you view them? Would you consider yourself a giver of life? Are your actions and words life-giving? Paul reminds us here in Ephesians chapter 4 how we can be life-givers. I was in the moment, just about passed it up, I guess, but I was, I was into what Randy was saying there. Well, communication is really important. Our words are very important and have a lot of power. In fact, they have power to give life and they have power to take away life. And one of the things about communication is my grandkids, when I'm up here, I, I do this to my ear to uh, tell them I'm thinking about them. And uh, my kids maybe that are in San Antonio may watch this later and I'm thinking about them. Uh, but there's, there's ways we communicate to people to help them and inspire them. And, and that's exactly what Randy is helping us see in this passage. And uh, I've got a quote here by Jerry Seinfeld. You may find funny or whatever. But according to most studies, people have a couple of fears. The number one fear would be public speaking. The number two fear would be death. And since death is number two, does that sound right to you? And that means that the average person, if you go to a funeral, you would rather be the one in the casket than you would be doing the eulogy. Words, they have a lot of power. They, they're hard, and, and James, we're gonna look later at chapter three, but James tells us that not many of us should be teachers because our words have so much influence. They can, they can do tremendous things and our words can really help or they can hurt. And that's what I see uh, Paul saying in Ephesians. In fact, uh, it just uh, helps us see how our lives have been changed, how Christ has changed our life. I look out and I see people around here, people's lives have been changed by Christ and it's just awesome to see and, and know the stories that God has done in, in all of our lives. I was thinking early this morning, uh, 41 years ago this week, my wife and I, after graduating from Harding, I got a degree in elementary education and went to Harding, got, went through the preaching program. And so in 1981, we decided we were going to go, actually before that, but we were going go to go to Wisconsin. And uh, there were three families of us that went. And so on New Year's Day, now I look back and think about what a tremendous change that was. Wasn't necessarily a, a resolution, but it was a tr tremendous change. And uh, we had three U-Haul trucks. I was the oddball. I decided to get a Hertz truck, and we had a Volkswagen Rabbit diesel that would get 55 miles a gallon. And, and uh, we decided we didn't have m many possessions. We really didn't. But we had a car, and we got that car inside that truck. So I drove the truck to, to Wisconsin, and our possessions that were in there, which, like I say, wasn't much. We were driving through Chicago. I think it was on New Year's Day. And uh, we thought this was going to be normal, okay? Driving through Chicago, eight lanes traffic wide, snowstorm, but not many people on the road. 
And here we are in these uh, moving trucks and uh, driving right along. And some guy goes really fast and probably, we're going probably 50, 55, and he's going about 70, 75. And there's all these lanes, which was a good thing. Not, not much traffic out. And pretty soon he spins out and he just goes all over. And I thought, what have we gotten into? Now, that's the kind of the physical side. What was really happening in the midst of all of that was God was going to change my life. Because a lot of winter days, you spend time inside. We, we didn't know how to snow ski. We didn't know how to do outside things. And so I spent a lot of time just reading the Bible. And in the context, the Word of God transforms us and renews our thinking. And that's really what's happening in this passage. A little bit bigger uh, uh, I looked at this section of scripture, uh, verse 17, it talks about that we should no longer live as the Gentiles. God gave us life. We shouldn't live like people without God. It was the futility of their thinking. They were dar uh, darkened and their understanding separated them from the life of God. So life, God was giving life and giving themselves, these people were giving themselves over to, to uh sensuality and indulge in every kind of impurity and the last word in that paragraph is greed and that's the the human thing that we want to do is be greedful uh, be full of greed uh, he says you shouldn't walk that way any longer randy talked about the news so new year's resolutions a new change and and lives being changed by christ uh, he says in verse 25 you should speak truthfully with your neighbor we should be authentic and genuine. Uh, and he ends up that little section talking about we, we should no longer steal, but we should work with our hands. We should be givers. We should work so we can give to other people according to their needs. That ends up. But then it, it brings us to the context of our passage out of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. You're thinking about their needs, just like that person worked to give to people who had physical needs. We start talking because people have emotional needs, spiritual needs, and a number of needs, motivational needs, and our words can have a big impact on them. Maybe a greater impact than we will ever know. Uh, not only what is according to their needs, uh, that is that it may benefit those who listen. You're thinking about giving life through your words to other people. And then a real odd kind of passage. You've probably cherry-picked it out of this and taken it out of context. That says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you have been... Uh, you, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Thinking, how does this fit in this passage? But if you look at the context and you start looking at it, this to me is the linchpin. This is the, the anchor passage for everything else around it. And it, it does seem kind of odd when you first read it, but think about this. Let me put it into this perspective. Uh, Howard Norton, years ago, before we went to Wisconsin, or as we were going to Wisconsin, he said, what, what gets you going every day? What motivates you to, to keep going? What keeps you from giving up? And I said, because when I think about the Father in heaven, 
I see a smile on his face. And he's pleased with me. And I please him. And that motivates me. Now, I don't know if that helps you or not. I didn't grow up with a real positive father who was extra supportive and all of that. But I have a heavenly father that smiles at me every day, who encourages me and motivates me and loves me. And I don't want to break his heart. See, for sin, for a lot of people, sin is a breaking of God's law. For God, sin breaks his heart. Don't grieve God. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. When you say unhealthy, unwholesome words, that really, that unwholesome, sometimes is translated bad. It's uh, the idea of a fruit that has become rotten, spoiled, stinky. And don't you hear people talk like that around you all the time? I mean, go shopping, hear people talking on their phone to somebody else. Uh, just There's a lot of negativity in this world, so don't be spitting and spewing out words that just spoil, rotten, stink, and are bad, unhealthy. Speak words that are healthy and hopeful, encouraging, and give other people hope according to their need. A lot of us selfishly greed, greed causes us to want God or other people to fill our needs instead of us thinking about their needs. When you don't say a good word to somebody who needs it, you're disappointing God. You're grieving the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a sad face for God when you're not doing that. And we all have the power to do that. It doesn't matter how much money you make or how much you have. You can say words that are helpful and fruitful. Napoleon said, uh, think twice before you speak because your words and influence will plant the seed of either success or failure in the mind of another. Uh, Mark Twain said this about choosing your words wisely. He said, it's truly, uh, or it usually takes me more time, more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech. You need to think about intentionally saying good words you can say. I think it was about a year ago, uh, maybe it's longer than that, Randy encouraged us to encourage our shepherds. We should encourage our ministers. We should encourage our class leaders. We should encourage our deacons. We should encourage one another. And I would encourage you to put a smile on God's face by sending a text to one of your shepherds this week to one of your ministers, I'm not begging you to send one to me, okay? I'm just saying, send an encouraging word to somebody. Maybe it's an email. Maybe it is in person, a word. Encourage them. They need your encouragement. They are usually the ones encouraging you. Let God use you to encourage them. Uh, Another quote is, the only way to tell truth is to speak with kindness. Only the words of a loving person can be heard. So you need to encourage other people. The other passage I wanted to allude to, by the way, before I go too far, my challenge for you is read the book of Ephesians this week and look at all the times when words are talked about, 
or the word speak is there. Uh, in, in Ephesians 5, it talks about speak to one another in psalms and hymns. We encourage one another with those songs. In chapter 5, uh, it says in verse 4, you should, uh, there, there shouldn't be any obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So there's a lot that is said in, uh, in Ephesians. But we have to use James chapter 3. James chapter 3 is a great passage. Uh, he starts out talking about not many people should be teachers. You know, you, you can't not, there's nobody perfect. Uh, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. And we all know that nobody's perfect. And uh, whenever you point your finger at somebody else, they're in perfection. There's, a, there's others pointing back at you. So think about that. But he talks about controlling things like horses and ships and, and a forest fire are just small things. But they make great boasts and do great things. And he talks about all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles. Uh, you probably got a puppy for Christmas. Train that thing, okay? Help him, help, help her, help, help it. Uh, and we're able to train them, can't we? We can send them to school and train them. But James says nobody can train and control their tongue. It's tough. I mean, we, that was probably one of my worst sins. Before I became a Christian, it was my mouth. It probably still is. Uh, let my family hold judgment on that or whatever. But, but uh, it is amazing with our tongues, James says in verse 9, the tongue, with, we can praise God on Sunday, Wednesday night, and yet we can go out and, and do other things. Uh, and our tongues, not only can we praise, but we can curse. And... Uh, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't draw people into negativity. We curse other people who are made in the likeness of God. That's a, that's a good reminder. Think about their smile that you want to create on their face. They're made in the likeness of God. And so you don't grieve them like you wouldn't want to grieve our Father or the Holy Spirit. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. He said, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. It's wrong. I know a, a, a lesson on speaking is most of us, we don't, we've adopted language, we've ad adopted patterns from others in our family that uh, become normalized for us and it shouldn't be. And can both fresh water and salt water from, come out of the same spring? No. He says, my brothers and sisters, it shouldn't be that way with us as well. Well, William Shakespeare said, said when words are scarce, they're seldom spent in vain. You should, you should really taste your words before you spew them out on somebody else to see if they are rotten and stinky or whether they're going to be pleasant. So I'll end with this quote that says, Speak in such a way that others love to listen to you. And listen in such a way that others love to speak to you. You think about that. Those who have spent much time around Kevin know that he practices what he preaches there. Kevin is incredibly encouraging, so he's the right person to talk to us about that. I'm going to talk to us about uh, life-giving action. Our, why do we do what we do? What's our motive for those things? We're going to continue a theme that uh, is throughout Scripture, and Randy mentioned it in 
chapter 4 of Ephesians, Sylvan mentioned it in our communion thought, this concept of old self versus new self. You can hear baptismal language here. But uh, Ephesians 4, 31, this is our old self, things we need to leave behind. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That was your old life. That was what you lived like previously. Now you've experienced Jesus come into something that is better. Part of the reason that Paul is writing this message is because he desires for unity and harmony within this church family. If bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice are present, unity is not. The unity does not coexist with these things. And what do all of these things have in common? They hurt other people. They hurt other people. Whenever you're bitter and cold towards others, it hurts them. Obviously, rage, anger, brawling hurt others. Slander and gossip is incredibly divisive within a church family. Malice, the desire to do evil towards somebody else, incredibly divisive. And Paul's saying, not helpful. Leave that behind. That was your old life. Don't live like that anymore. At the center of all of these is is selfishness, is insecurity, is pride, is this need to exert power over another and at some level exert control. And Paul says that's, that's not how we do it anymore. Why not? Well, because of Jesus. Right, let's read about the new self, Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. These motivations are different. They're not hurtful. They build other people up. If you want to build unity and harmony within a community, I would say that kindness and compassion and forgiveness, great place to start. If we want unity and harmony, we're going to need these ingredients. But I want you to notice what the motive is. Why are Christ's followers kind and compassionate? Because that's how Jesus treated people. Why are Christ's followers forgiving? Well, because God forgive, forgave us through Christ. Sometimes we make Christianity more difficult than it has to be. We throw in a lot of extra things, and sometimes we lose sight of what's the most important thing. As Christ's followers, we follow Jesus. So Jesus' followers are kind and compassionate and forgiving precisely because Jesus was kind and compassionate and forgiving. If you find yourself wrestling with that old self, if bitterness or anger or slander is present in your life, I think the first place to start is to look at your relationship with God and not in a guilt trip kind of way, but just and to appreciate what God has given you and then you can offer that to other people. Whenever you pause and think about God's goodness towards you and the many ways he's blessed you, whenever you think about the mercy and grace that he offers you whenever you didn't do anything to deserve it, well, it's a lot easier to offer kindness and compassion and forgiveness to others. So appreciate what God has done for you, and it'll, it'll be significantly easier to offer that to other people. I came across a really interesting study. I found it very intriguing in psychology today. The goal of this study was to figure out why do people go to work? Why do they keep going to work? Why do they keep getting up to do the same thing with the same people every day? Dr. Anthony Szilard is the one who wrote it, and this is what he discerned from his study. 
The primary reason people join and stay in a company or organization is not, is not, that they want to earn more money and possess a high level of status. I would have been wrong. I would have guessed that money and power and status is the reason that people keep going back, this pursuit of more. And he said, no, that's not actually it. So if it's not money and status, what is it? Let's finish the quote. The primary reason people join and stay in a company or organization is not that they want to earn more money and possess a high level of status, but because they wish to belong. That's so interesting. They keep going back because they wish to belong. Their deepest intrinsic desire they wish to fulfill at work is to feel included, accepted, appreciated, and valued by a social group that in their eyes is worth belonging to. Those underlines are mine. Those weren't in the original, but I I wanted us to key in on those concepts. Um, The parallel to what we do here at church is not hard to see, right? People go to work because they want to experience belonging and inclusion and acceptance, and they want to be appreciated and feel valued. Well, good news. That's the message of Jesus, right? This This is what Jesus offers people. Jesus goes to the outcast and says, you belong. He offers inclusion and acceptance. He offers appreciation and value to those who didn't earn it, but he sees the image of God in them and he welcomes them and he says, you're one of us and I love you. Uh, This is what we need to be about. If we were to make a list of how we want people to come and experience the Edmund Church of Christ, when they come through our doors, what do we want them to say about us? It's kind of that, right? That's, That's what we want them to experience. If this keeps people coming back to work, all the more it's going to keep them coming here because we have the reason for all of those things. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. I, I loved his, his application. He was like, okay, so you're trying to create this atmosphere within your work environment. Here's what you need to do. The simple act of being kind and empathetic toward people is the first step to helping them feel like they belong. It feels like Dr. Savlard has been reading Ephesians 4, right? Look at that again. The simple act of being kind and empathetic toward people is the first step to helping them feel like they belong. Kindness, empathy, compassion. If we were to throw in mutual forgiveness, we have the foundation of Christian community. This study lets us know that there's something built deep inside of us that needs that. And the church and Jesus is an answer to those things, so our actions need to follow and to bless people with that. So if we're going to be a community that's defined by kindness, that's defined by compassion, that's defined by mutual forgiveness, then I think it takes each of us asking ourselves a question, and it's something you ask every day, all the time. How can others experience God's kindness and compassion and forgiveness through me? How can others experience God's kindness, compassion, and forgiveness through me. As a church family, how can we do that? How can we offer that to other people? I think in moments of joy and celebration, we need to be a group of people that's really good at joy and celebration. We need to be able to celebrate with those who have powerful experiences and they want to to enjoy that with other people. I think about baby showers or wedding showers and how our church walks alongside people and blesses them in that new stage of life. That's so important. 
Or I think about whenever somebody has experienced loss or in, their, in the midst of trial, we need to be a church family that goes and walks alongside them and says, you don't do this alone. Sometimes whenever someone's in the hospital or they've lost a loved one, you, you bring a note and a lasagna and you're like, okay, I, this doesn't feel like enough, you know. But to a family that's reeling, a note and a lasagna means the world because you see kindness and compassion of Jesus. Or just as we do community, and each of us in here has a different view of, of what we read in Scripture, and we all have little, you know, uniquenesses as we come to the text. How are we going to have conversation about those things? Are we going to prioritize kindness and compassion, empathy, seeing things through the other person's lens? Are we going to honor that person in their reading of Scripture, or are we going to fight to get our way and prove that we're right? Like, that, that doesn't honor Jesus. That's not how he operated that desire for mutual understanding and respect. That's how we need to honor each other, to value the relationship over value getting my way, to honor that person by listening first and offering them uh, an ear that, that says, I could be wrong, I want to hear what you have to say. If we're gonna do that, then we can create a cohesive atmosphere for sure here. I also think about just the simple, you know, we talked about belonging. Whenever people are new here, whenever people are new members or guests, are we going to be the people that stick to our groups and stay comfortable, or are we going to step outside of our comfort zone and go in and, and meet them and feel welcome, make them feel welcome? One of my spiels that I give often is that youth group never ends. <laughs> One of the messages that I, we give our students all the time is be willing to leave your friend group to go and bless and bring somebody else in. And, you know, sometimes we look at teens and like, oh, man, they're still finding themselves. They're still a little bit insecure. It's hard for them to step outside of their comfort zone and go meet somebody new and make them feel welcome. From my observation, us adults, we're the same. We're exactly the same. We still wrestle with those things. We have to be willing to say, I, I, I care enough about this person to go and build a relationship and make sure that they feel that welcome, that belonging. And I wanted to brag on our church for a minute in all of these areas, me and my family, we've been blessed. You have blessed us. Uh, our baby showers and our wedding shower were such a blessing. It's so, it's so powerful to know you step into a new stage of life not by yourself. Like a new husband and a new dad. That's, those are terrifying experiences. Exciting, but terrifying because you know you've got a lot coming with it. But to know that you have a church family that says, we're going to help you succeed in that, that's powerful shows kindness and compassion. Uh, whenever you go through difficult times, I think about whenever my mom got diagnosed with cancer. That was tough. And, um, you know, a, an important moment in my family's life. But this church family walked alongside me in that. Um, and I got so many messages, so many people saying, hey, keep us updated because we would love to pray alongside you. If you don't know my mom's story, she uh, was able to beat cancer with, with, obviously with God's help and praise God for that. And she's been cancer-free for a long time. But I look back at that time and see a church family that, that blessed me in that. Um, I've been blessed by many of you as we talk about Scripture together uh, and to enjoy the conversation and to be challenged by you and, and me challenge you back and just the back and forth about that, but then to celebrate what we have in common, that we celebrate that we have Jesus in common uh, over trying to win or make them see it my way. That's such a blessing, and, and it inspires unity. And then finally, just as far as welcoming people, uh, 
it feels like ancient history to me. None of our teens were born, but uh, in 2006, Ashley and I came to church at the Edmund Church of Christ, and you did a good enough job welcoming us that we stuck. Uh, this has become home for us, and it's been home for us for a long time, and I want to thank you for that. In order to offer that to people, it takes each of us asking that question. It takes each of us deciding to be a conduit for God's compassion, his kindness, his forgiveness. And it it takes each of us looking for opportunities for people to experience God's kindness and compassion and forgiveness through us. The motive for each of these is Jesus. The motivation for all of this is your experience of this through Jesus. So I, I pray that you've been impacted by that. And I pray that it makes it easier for you to offer it to other people. In doing so, we're going to create a, a powerful force, a unified force in the name of Jesus. If you have not experienced Jesus's kindness, his compassion, his forgiveness, if you've not started a new life with him, you're still in your old life and you need to step into that new life, I invite you to do so. Uh, we can study scripture together. If you're ready to make a decision to follow Christ and leave your old self behind, we can offer the start of that journey in the waters of baptism today. We would love to see that happen. Or if you are in need of, of a church family to walk alongside you, to show you that kindness and compassion or forgiveness, we want to offer that to you through the avenue of prayer. You can come forward when we sing, and we'll pray over you here. Uh, or you can choose to go and pray with some of our shepherds and their wives. They'll be in the parlor, which is the room right behind me. Uh, You can do that whenever we sing. Or if you would like to, we have a prayer page on our website, and we would love to pray over the concerns listed there. I pray whatever your need, you, you can share that with us as we sing. A common love for each other, a common